Well, good morning, church. Glad If it's been good to be here this morning, say amen. amen. You know, I was thinking as Abby was talking and we sang that song, you know, oftentimes I hear people say, when things go well in life, God is good. But let's be honest, even through the struggles, is God still good? Man, I hope we know that. I hope we know that. So today, we're going to continue in our series called Prayer Unleashed. And just as a reminder, we have this uh, prayer board over here. If you've got a prayer request, pre, post-service, during the invitation, you can come and fill it out, put it on the, the board on the, your right. And then as those prayers are answered, we want to move them to the left. And so this, I would encourage you, before you leave today, just kind of drop by the board. I was spending some time there today. And I'm just telling you, when you see the board and you see what people are writing down, you can really hear the hearts of people praying for those that are wanting to be saved or lives being changed. And so we just want to intercede and join with them and pray for those things. So please take a moment before, after, or even during the invitation to stop by the prayer board, fill something out, or just look at it and go, you know what? I want to be praying for these things this week. And the reason for this series, Prayer Unleashed, is because if you think about it, we believe with everything in us that if we pray, as believers, if we pray, we unleash the power of God in our lives. We unleash the power of God in our heart. We believe that when we pray to the creator of the universe, incredible things happen. If you believe that this morning, say amen. I hope you believe that, but here's the problem. We say we believe it, but some of us don't carve out time to pray. We don't carve out time. I'm not talking about eating, right? I'm talking about real time, real time when you are approaching the throne of grace, when you call out and you cry out, and you, with everything in you, you call out and, and just communicate with the creator of the universe. That's what I'm talking about, and we don't do that. And so our goal in this series is that we might encourage people and motivate people that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest disciplines that needs to be part of all of our lives is prayer. And so we started week one with why pray? If that's true, why pray? And we talked about that. And then the last couple of weeks, and in fact, today and even next week, we're going to be looking at, okay, if we know now why we need to pray, what are some of the kinds of prayers that need to be part of our lives? So we talked, first of all, about the prayer of surrender. It surrenders all about me yielding my way, my agenda, my fears, and my doubts, and yielding them to the Lord. If we're going to listen, if we're going to have a relationship where we are building intimacy with our Heavenly Father, we must have the prayer of surrender as a part of our life. And last week we talked about we need a prayer of brokenness. Brokenness is that idea of swallowing my pride and letting go and really depending and leaning in. On him. How do you like to ask people for help? Anybody? One. Does that tell you a little bit about our hearts this morning? Does that tell you a little bit about maybe your journey with Christ? God, you've got bigger things to deal with. I got this one. No, you don't. You're the reason you got into the mess to begin with. You need, you need his help. And so brokenness is all about saying, God, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to let you know I desperately needs you. And then today we're going to talk about a third prayer, and it's, we're going to talk about the prayer of renewal. The prayer when, when you have rebelled against God, when you've broken the heart of God, and that desire to make it right with God, that desire to walk in step with God, that desire to be in rhythm with Him again. Because here's the thing, it's like a marriage a lot of ways. Like there are times, I know it's hard to believe this, but there have been times in 28 years of marriage, Sonny's actually got upset with me. I know it's hard to believe. I know you think there's no way that's possible. It has happened. I know she was totally in the wrong for it, but she's been mad at me a couple of times. You know that, right? I mean, she's been upset with me. But there's that moment in a marriage where I have to ask this question. Is it more important to be right or to make it right? 
And see, renewal is crucial. You know that in every relationship in your life. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Listen, I want to tell you this, and I want to apologize on the front end. There's at some point I'm probably going to hurt you, and I want you to know I would never do it intentionally. And we know in every relationship in life, whether it's marriage, friendships, parent to kids, or, or to grandparents, there is this sense of relationships get broken, they get fractured, and there needs to be a desire of renewal. And so today, we're going to look at a guy, and it's by the name of David. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 51. Psalms 51, and this psalm that David, this prayer of David, is really a prayer of renewal. Now, some of you may not know who David is, so I want to tell you a little bit of David's story that leads up to Psalms 51. David was, was anointed king of Israel as a little boy. I mean, he was a young boy. He was a shepherd boy, and he was anointed as king of Israel, but that time wasn't come yet. So he had to wait many, many, many years, and he had to serve in the army. He served under Saul. King Saul hated David because he knew David was anointed king, and, and he, there was this tension there. But David eventually became king of Israel. And David, for the most part, was a really good king. David expanded the borders of Israel to places they had never been before. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, when you think about David, this was an incredible man of God who did incredible things for God. But there was a day in 1 Samuel. There was a day. When kings went off to war, because that's what they did. Now, we don't get that because today, the, the people making decisions, the Joint Chief of Staff, our president, and those people, they said at the Pentagon, they're not over in Iraq. They're not over in the front lines. But in that day and time, if you were the king, you always went to battle with your army. And we know in 1 Samuel that David didn't go to battle. David stayed home. And on this occasion, when David decided to stay home, he was walking the top of his palace, and as he walked over, he saw Bathsheba across the way, and Bathsheba was bathing. Now, at that moment, a man of God, what would be your right response, men? I'm not, I shouldn't have to help you with this one. What's, what should be the right response, men? To bounce your eyes and to go back in the castle, right? To get away from it and go, no, I want to clear my thought and I want to clear my mind of everything I just saw. That's not what David did. In fact, David sent his servant Ziba and says, go bring her to me. He's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, David. She's married. And David goes, I don't care. He brings Bathsheba over. He obviously commits adultery, sleeps with Bathsheba, and then they go on their way. No remorse, no regret, no repentance, nothing there. And he goes on his way. And then we come to find out, this is like a Jerry Springer show, find out Bathsheba is now pregnant, right? And Bathsheba is pregnant. And David's like, okay, that didn't work out too well for me. So I need to cover this thing up. So she's married. So let's go get her husband who's in battle at war. Let's bring him home. Let him sleep with his wife. Maybe then we'll convince him that the baby is his baby. Didn't this sound like a Jerry Springer show? I mean, this is awesome. Read your Bible, folks. It's awesome, right? And so they bring him back, and Uriah is so devoted and so loyal to the battle that's going on. He's like, there's no way I can go home with my wife. All my brothers are fighting in war. I'm going to stay right here. And he slept right there on the floor. So David goes, okay, well, that didn't work. So now I'm going to do the only thing I know to do now. Let's send him back to battle, but let's make sure he's put on the front lines. Why did he put him on the front lines? So that he'd be killed. So listen, this man after God's own heart, this guy who did incredible things to the Lord, now finds himself as an adulterer, a liar, and now a murderer. And he still feels no regret. Until a prophet named Nathan shows up. 
And a prophet named Nathan comes to David and says, I want to tell you a story, David, and I want to see how we handle this. And so he tells him this story about this person, this landowner, who took something that did not belong to him. And he painted this a massive story of what was going on. And David burned with anger, the Bible says, about what took place. And then Nathan said the amazing punchline, David, the one I'm talking about is you. See, I, I can really take joy in getting upset about everybody else's sin. But when someone points the finger and goes, you're the one I'm talking about, heart sink. And it's in light of that moment, David prays. And his prayer is recorded in Psalms 51. And what we see in Psalms 51 is a prayer of renewal. And as we look at this prayer of renewal, I want you to notice with me there are five components. There's five aspects about this prayer that if you and I, when we rebel against God, if we're going to pray that prayer of renewal saying, God, I'm going to be right with you. I'm going to walk in step with you. I'm going to restore our relationship. These same components need to be part of our prayer as well, our prayer of renewal. So if you have your Bible, Psalms 51, the first component, first aspect is found in verse 1. It says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. See, the very first thing that David does in his prayer of renewal is repent. The first thing I want you to notice is there's repentance in this prayer. This guy who's rebelling against God has a heart change because he's been exposed now. He's been called out and he completely, he's walking this way away from the Lord, living life the way he wants to live it. And when Nathan calls him out, he pivots and he goes back to the Lord. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me. That word mercy just simply means to not receive what I do deserve. Are you with me on that? When you beg for mercy, you're saying, I know I deserve something pretty harsh, but I'm asking you not to do the very thing I need. Like, for example, when you were small and you were kids and your parents were about to spank you, did you try to beg your way out of that? Did you beg for mercy? Please don't spank me. Please, I know I deserve it. You may not have said that. I know I don't deserve it, but please don't spank me. Anybody ever go that route? Did it work out? Now, we still got whoopings, didn't we, right? But so David here, in this heart of repentance, he cries out and says, Lord, have mercy on me. God, I get it. I'm not discounting what I've done. I'm just asking you not to give me the very thing I know that I deserve. God, I know I've broken your heart. God, I know I deserve something that, that's pretty intense and harsh punishment. But God, I'm asking you, show me mercy. Now, here's what I love about David. Don't, don't miss this. Let's go back to verse 1. Can we throw that back up on the screen? I love what David does. Have mercy on me, O God. That whole act of repentance. According to what? According to what? Your steadfast love. He didn't say, listen, God, look what I've done for you. God, I, I built the kingdom up. I mean, Saul pretty much destroyed it. I built on military power. I expanded the borders, God. There's more money coming into this than we've ever seen before. God, I'm living for you. I love you. I mean, I, we've got, your, we got the ark back. I mean, God, look at all this stuff I've done for you. Is that what he says? No, have mercy on me, O Lord, because of your steadfast love. I love what David does because David doesn't say, God, I deserve your mercy because mercy is not deserved. We, we do deserve a punishment for sin. He's asking God for mercy, but he doesn't lean on what he's done for the Lord as a means to show him mercy. What he leans on is the character of God. God, you're loving, and I really need it right now. God, I've blown it. I was walking this way, and he repents 
and he asked God to have mercy on him. Have mercy on God. Not because I deserve it, but because of your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. God, I'm asking you to do this because forgiving and loving is part of your nature. It's part of your character, and I need it right now. And then he ends with, and would you blot out my transgressions? Why do you think he asked him to blot out his transgressions? Here's why. Because he wanted to know the forgiveness of God, and he wanted a fresh start. Have you ever blown it and sinned and broken the heart of God? Have you ever wanted to experience and feel the forgiveness of God, like God had truly forgiven you, and that you had a fresh start in life? Sure you have. But it begins with repentance. The first aspect we see in David's prayer, David doesn't give a a list of all the things he's done right. He starts with repentance. God, have mercy on me. I don't deserve it, but would you show me mercy? God, would you blot out my transgressions? Would you show me forgiveness? And would you give me a fresh start? Listen, if we're going to pray this prayer of renewal, it always begins with repentance. And I know repentance is a word we don't like to talk about. Because it's acknowledging that I have blown it, and I'm going the wrong direction, and I need to be going the right direction. But I just want to tell you, as someone who loves all of you, and I love myself, repentance has to be part of the life of a believer. If we're not repenting over our sin, that means we're not broken over our sin. And if we're not broken over our sin, that means we don't think sin is just that bad. And my Bible still tells me, sin sent Jesus to the cross. And for every one of us who claim to be a believer, repentance has to be part of our life if we're going to renew our walk with him. The second thing I want you to notice is found in verse 2 and verse 7. He says this, Wash me thoroughly for my iniquity and cleanse me for my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The second thing we see is not just repentance. We see David has a desire for cleansing. David has a desire for cleansing. If you go back to verse 2, what's the first thing he said there? He said, Wash me. Now, this word in the original Hebrew language, it doesn't just mean a rinsing. It means trample me or beat it out of me. Your parents probably understood this way better than we do, right? Trample me or beat it out of me. So when he says, wash me, Lord, he's not saying, hey, would you just merely rinse me off? Like I remember as a kid, I don't, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember as a kid, but there were times when my mom, my mom would say, hey, go take a shower, Doug. And, and I was probably like seven, eight years old. I'd go take a shower. And then she would come in there and she would, did you wash your hair? And I would say, and back then I actually had some hair. And so I said, yes, mom, I washed my hair. And you know what she would do? She had the audacity to go, come here. Let me smell your head. <laughs> and oftentimes she didn't smell soap that had been in my hair. She smelled whatever should have not been. I mean, she smelled the dirt and that. And so then she would go, come with me. And we would go to the kitchen or we'd go to the bathroom and she would wash my hair. But let me just tell you how mama washes your hair when she's upset. It's not a rinsing off of the head. It's not a massaging of the head. She's scrubbing and scrubbing. That's what David says. Listen, I don't want just a washing over me. I want you to thoroughly scrub the sin out of my life. You catch his desperation here? You catch this desire for cleansing? Hey, listen, I don't want you just to wash over me and throw some water on it. I want you to scrub it out of me. In other words, I want you, God, to do whatever it takes to remove the sin from my life. He says, wash me, and then he says, cleanse me. Cleanse me just means this. It just means 
leave no remnant of sin behind. Like, did your parents ever like tell you to take a bath and come out and they would check your ears? Right? They would check like your, you know, I, I remember one time I took a shower and I swore and I was so smart. I actually washed my hair this time and my mom smells. She goes, that's good. She said, let me see your arms. And they're like this. And there was creases of dirt right along here. You know what I'm talking about? And she's like, you didn't really bathe. Now, what is she saying? Look, to be cleansed means to leave no remnant of dirt. I mean, like, go really take a shower, dog. Real, like, really wash your body from head to toe. Do that. That's what David's saying. Knowing I want you to scrub it out of me, like really thoroughly remove all the sin. God, I want you to not leave any remnant of this sin in my life ever again. So he starts with this level of wash me, and then he elevates to God, would you cleanse me? Make sure there's no remnant of this. And then he says, purge me. According to David Guzik, the commentator, he says to purge me means to descend me. I mean, this guy doesn't just want to be clean. He wants a thorough cleansing. So he starts with, hey, would you wash me thoroughly? Hey, God, would you make sure there's no remnant of it in me? Hey, God, would you just purge me? Would you descend me? See, and he says purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a branch, and it was used by priests. And what they would do is during the Passover, they would take the, the branch, and they would dip in the blood, and they would, they would fling the blood on top of the door. And that door, maybe it was somebody who was even sick, and it wasn't Passover. They would take hyssop and blood, and they would sprinkle it over the door. And the reason they did it was if the blood was on the door, it represented, and it deemed this house clean. And he says, no, I want you to descend me, God. I want you to see me as clean. God, when you look at me, because you've washed me thoroughly, because you've removed every remnant, and God, because you have descended me, you've purged me, I want you, God, to see me as clean. Now, everybody look at me real fast. Do you see David's deep desire to be clean before God? This is not David discounting his sin. He's broken now over it. He's repented of it, and he's like, God, I deeply and desperately need to be clean. And not just washed over, I mean, I need to scrub him. God, I need you to remove it. And God, would you even descend me? Get it even out of my life. Do we have that same desire to be clean before God? Come on. Listen, if we don't, it's because first and foremost, we don't have a heart of repentance. See, only with the heart of repentance will we desire this kind of cleansing. But let me show you a third thing we see in the passage. In verse 3 through 6, it says this. David says, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you and only have I sinned and done evil what's in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Here's what he says. He starts with repentance. He moves to cleansing. And the third thing I want you to notice is David, we see here his confession of sin. See, confession of sin is not the mere acknowledgement that you've sinned. Confession of sin means I take ownership of what I've done, and I'm willing to accept the responsibility and the consequences. Let me say that again in case we didn't get that. Confessing our sins is not the mere acknowledgement that you've sinned. Biblical confession of sin is saying, I'm going to take ownership for what I've done, and I'm going to accept responsibility and the consequences of what I've done. How many of you are like Doug, and you're really good at blaming everybody else for your faults? 
Okay, there's five honest people. The rest of you, come on. Repentance will be at the end of the service, all right? So you can repent of that. We all that way, right? It's so much easier to, 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 to discard our own sinfulness and to blame everybody else. It's everybody else's fault. Why were you late this morning? Well, it was my kid's fault. You know what? You could have got up at 4 a.m. I don't know. We, we, we blame everybody else, right? David confessed sin. And listen, in this passage, what we read, David takes ownership and David accepts responsibility. Did you pick up what he said, first of all? He says, my sins are ever before me. In other words, God, for the first time, I get it. I see, sense, and feel the weight and the seriousness of my rebellion. God, I get it. And then he takes ownership. He says, only against you, Lord. Let's go back to verse 4. Look what he says the very first. He says, only, in verse 4, against you and you only, have I sinned? Well, just a quick question. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Did he sin against Uriah, the husband? Yeah. But he says, only against you, God, have I sinned. Well, what is he doing? Well, David's not discounting that he sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. What David is saying is this, is that the chief cardinal sin of my life, the, the relationship that I have destroyed the most, the one that I value the most, need the most, cling to the most, the one that I have wrecked, damaged, and destroyed, it's you, God. He's letting us know how much he values the relationship with God. So he says, only against you have I sinned. God, you are the creator of the universe. You are the one that's holy, and you are the one. I broke your heart. David takes ownership of what he does, but then he accepts responsibility. Look at the rest of verse 4. Look what he says. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What's he saying there? He said, listen, Lord, I beg for mercy, but whatever you decide... That's justice. God, I want your mercy. But if you choose to discipline me in a harsh way, God, I will be content with that because you are just and you always bring justice. Is that someone trying to, to skirt any kinds of consequences? No. That's someone who's taken ownership and now says, I'm willing to take responsibility. And God, whatever you decide, I'm okay with. Let me ask you a quick question. Just that statement alone, can we say that this morning? And that to be related to sin. It can be related to anything. God, whatever you decide, I'm content. Can we truly say that this morning? God, whatever journey you put me on, whatever you allow me to have or not have, God, whatever you do in my life, God, I will be content with you respond. Why? Because you are God who's just. You are God who's in control. You are God who is holy. God, whatever you do, I'm going to be content. Can we pray that this morning? Can we say that? David could. David took responsibility. He also did in verse 5. Look at this. I love this because we've misread this before. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that his mother committed adultery, and that's how he was conceived. He's not discounting the fact that, that he was a sinner, that he's sinful by nature. What he's saying is, so he's not blaming somebody else. What he's saying is, God, I know at the very core of David, I am sinful. I have a sin nature. I choose to sin. God, I know from the very core of my being that I'm sinful. This is David taking responsibility for what he's done. God, I'm sinful. And whatever you do is right. And then he says, verse 6, he says this, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In other words, God, I know that my actions 
did not bring delight to you. My actions brought heartbreak. But you still are working wisdom in my life, in the secret heart. Listen, isn't this a great place for all of us to be, to know that we've rebelled against God and we can come to God and go, God, I know that my actions didn't bring you delight. My actions brought you heartbreak, but God, you're still not done with me. You still want to do a work in me. God, you want your wisdom to still flow through me. You still want to use a broken vessel like me. Really? Really, God? Awesome. I mean, this is a great prayer that David prays because he's acknowledging that what he's done is broke the heart of God, but that God never wrote him off. And I know we keep coming back to that in the series, but some of you need to hear that. Some of you think you've gone too far. You've done too much. You've said too much. You've seen too much. You've done all this stuff. But you, your sin never traffics farther than God's grace. And David said, God, I think you're not done with me. So the second thing we see here is this idea of confession of sin. Not just a mere acknowledgement that I've sinned, but taking ownership and responsibility for what I've done. And listen, do we enjoy that? Do you enjoy owning up your sin? Do you enjoy taking responsibility for your sin? I remember there was times as a parent that I did and said some things that was wrong with my boys, and the hardest thing for me to do was to go to sit in the room and sit down on their bed and tell them I was sorry and apologize and repent for what I did. As a parent, you're like, I'm the authoritarian. Why should I have to do that? Well, I was wrong. Now, hopefully one day my boys, all three of them will go, you know what? My dad, I remember times when he came in my room, hopefully it wasn't frequently, but came into my room and apologized for things he had said and things he had done because he wanted to show us that he's remorseful and repentant. I hope they know that. And so we see this idea of confession of sin. So I want you to hear me this morning before we wrap this up. When we look at the heart of David, we see a guy who's repented. We see a guy who's asked for cleansing and begged for cleansing. And we see a guy who's confessed this sin. And now we see the prayer shift. Now that David has repented, now that he's confessed his sin, now he's asked for cleansing, we see his prayer shift in verse 8 through 12. 12. It says this, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me what? A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing heart. Here's what David prayers. He's gone from this idea of repentance to cleansing to confession. Now he's all about praying about restoration. God, now that I've just laid my heart out, I've repented of my sin. I've asked you to cleanse me. God, I've confessed my sin. Now, God, I want restoration. And he asked for restoration in three areas. Verse 10, he says, restoration. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. You know what David is saying? My heart is broken. How many of you know that the Bible says that your heart is deceitful and wicked above all else? You know that? So the idea of, hey, follow your heart. You ever been given that advice? Someone says, follow your heart. Tell them, nope, don't thank you. Because I know my heart and you know your heart. It will always take us down a path that is deceitful and wicked. Follow truth, not your heart, right? That's you get an amen. Amen? That's what we got to do. And so he says, I wish God, he said, God, I'm praying for restoration from my heart. And he says, create in me a clean heart. In other words, God, the heart that's in me that is so wicked, I need a new heart. I need you to give me a new one, God. That you would just create a new heart in me and that you would refresh and renew and restore my spirit. And then he prays for restoration of fellowship. Look at me in verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He says, God, in the midst of my sin, 
You know what I miss most? You. I want you to hear something this morning that maybe we don't understand, or maybe you do and we've forgotten it. When we sin, is our relationship with God severed? No. You know, when, when you get into a disagreement with your spouse, do you cease to be married? No, not at all, right? The, mar- the relationship's still there. But when you argue with your spouse, do you break fellowship sometimes? Does she decide sometimes, hey, I love you, but I really don't want to see your face right now? Has that ever happened to you? So relationship is still there. It's fellowship. It's communication that is broken. And he says, listen, God, while you're still my God and you're still with me, what I know is don't cast me from your presence. God, I know that I've blown it, but I want you back. I remember as a kid, I had this thinking. I don't know if I was right or if I was taught this or whatever, but there was this thinking that came across my mind that we always talk about reading our Bibles every day. And I somehow along the line, I learned or was taught that if you don't read your Bible, God will somehow mad at you. So for my early, like, elementary years, I wrestled with that. And then I realized as a teenager who really got excited about the Lord and my relationship with him, that when I miss my time with the Lord, it's not that he's mad at me. It's that he missed me. And I missed him. See, one of the most beautiful things you and I have as a believer is fellowship with our God. Yes, we're in relationship, but we have fellowship. We're able to commune with him, to pray, to hear his voice, and let him hear our hearts. And David said, I, Lord, I want you to restore, I want you to restore our fellowship. And then he says, I want you to restore my joy. The joy of your salvation. Now listen to me. I want you to restore my joy. Here's why David would pray this. Because if you're like me, here's what you know. When I am living in sin, when I'm rebelling against God, when I'm doing everything that Doug wants to do, does that corrupt my heart? Yes, yes or no? Does that corrupt my heart? Does that corrupt my heart? Yes or no? Yes, it corrupts our heart. And when we're living that way, does it break our fellowship with God? Yes. And when it breaks our fellowship with God, does it rob us of our joy? Yes. And David says, listen, I've repented. I've asked for cleansing. I've confessed. God, I now need restoration. I want to be back in rhythm with you. I want to be back on the same page with you, God. I want to be intimately in relationship and fellowship with you like never before. God, would you restore the joy of your salvation? God, would you restore the joy that I have because of what you've done for me? And then David ends with something very powerful as we close in verse 13 through 17. Then, now what does then mean? It means based on everything else. Once I've done all these things and you restore me, then I will teach your your transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight and sacrifice, or I would give it, and you will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Here's what David says, Lord, once all this happens, and I've confessed all this stuff, and you restore relationship, then... I'm going to make a new commitment to you. And here's my new commitment. My mouth will tell of your mercies. I will teach your transgressors your ways. And you know the ways of God he's talking about? Your ways of love. Your ways of grace. Your ways of mercy. I will teach them. Then he goes on to say, God, only that, I will sing your praise. Now, why would David want to sing his praise? Because God has shown him mercy when he could have shown him wrath. And at the very end there, he says something very powerful. He says, I will even, God, I pray that I could even stay humble before you. 
He says, the sacrifices that matter to God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Here's a thought that just dawned on me last night. You think in the middle of David's life of sinfulness, before Nathan came along, do you think David still went to temple? David still made sacrifices? David still did all the ritualistic things he was supposed to do? Yeah, we have no reason to believe not. And what David realizes when he says these words about sacrifice, he's realizing that when my heart was away from you, all these sacrifices I made were empty. Just empty. So God, my new commitment to you is not just to declare your praise, but to have a humble spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And I just want to tell you this morning, if we're willing to walk this journey, maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you rebelled against God. If you want to renew your relationship with him and you want to renew the intimacy with him, listen to me, church, it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. It begins by you going, God, I've been walking this way and I'm turning and I'm walking toward you. God, I want to come back to you and I want you to show me mercy. Not because I deserve it, but because you're loving. It begins with repentance. It continues through cleansing. God, I want you to wash me. Do you notice what David said there? When you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. God, would you take whatever measure necessary to remove the sin from my life? And it requires confession of sin. Not just acknowledgement, but ownership. God, I did it. God, I know my heart was wrong. And God, whatever you choose to do, I will accept it because you are just. And you are God. But God, after I've done these things, then there's this idea of restoration. If you've walked away from God and you're willing to do those things, do you have a desire then maybe to restore that relationship? God, I want to walk in rhythm with you again. And once you do that, then you can make a new commitment to the Lord. So here's what I want us to do right now. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. No head bowed, no eyes closed. I want you to hear my heart this morning. At the front, we have the Lord's Supper. And in a minute, I'm going to pray. When I'm done, we're going to continue to sing and worship and, and offer you to come to this table. But here's something, the reason we have the Lord's Supper up here this morning. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, if he's your Lord and Savior, and you've given your life to him, I'm going to ask you to examine your own heart this morning. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to do work in your life and go, you know what? Is there something I need to repent for? If there is, this altar's open or you can do it right where you sit this morning. Repent of that sin. Ask God to cleanse you. Confess it. Take ownership. And then once you've done that, seek restoration. Now, this is just Doug. But for me, the, the, the best picture, the best thing that can remind me of what it means to restore to God has everything to do with the Lord's Supper. See, when I've broken the heart of God and I said, God, I want to walk back and be close to you again, the thing that reminds me the most of what God's done for me and the price he's paid for me is taking the Lord's Supper. And so right where you said, I'm going to ask you to take a few moments here in a minute. Repent. Ask for cleansing. Confess. And once you've done that, if you feel led to, only if you feel led to, I'm going to ask you to come and grab one of these communion cups. And it's for anybody who's a follower of Jesus. I don't care if you're a member or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Take it back to your seat. And as the Lord leads you, say, Lord, now that I've done all this, I want to restore my relationship with you. And the best way for me to restore it is by remembering what you've done. And you peel back that first layer, take that wafer and say, Lord, I remember the body that was beaten for me. 
I remember all the, the price you paid, the lashings you took. And then you take the second layer and you open up to the juice and say, Lord, I remember the blood that was shed for me. I remember that because you shed your blood, I can now have forgiveness of sin. And as you remember, take the supper as you feel led on your own this morning. And then when you're done, would you just make a new commitment to the Lord? Would you say, Lord, I'm going to tell of your greatness. I'm going to tell of your grace. I'm going to tell of your mercy. God, I'm going to make a new commitment to you before I leave this place. So if you're a follower of Jesus, take some time. Repent. Confess. But when you're ready to restore, if you feel that, would you come grab a cup and remember? And then this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, listen, this cup means everything to us. Because this cup reminds us of sacrifice. One that we could not make for ourselves, but one that only Jesus could make for us. When he came to this world, became one of us, and lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross. And if you've never put your faith in him, man, today I would love to talk to you about it. I would love to share with you the only news that can change your life, and change your eternity, and change your heart. So if that's you, as you leave today, would you just grab me by the arm and say, hey, pastor, would you tell me more about Jesus? All right, let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this moment that we've had. And God, I just, right now, Lord, right where we're at, I want to pray for believers. I want to pray that we would realize today that as a believer, we need to have a prayer of renewal in our life. That we need to constantly be looking at our lives and seeing areas that we've blown it, areas that we rebelled against you. And that, God, we would take some real time this morning, even while we're singing, and before we rush to this table, take some time. Say, Lord, would you search my heart? And then, God, as you begin to expose those things, I pray for repentance to take place today. I pray for believers to repent of their sin and turn from it and turn to you. I pray that, <coughs> Lord, we would begin to request you to cleanse our hearts, that we would confess and take ownership of what we've done. And, Lord, once we've done those things, I pray that you might encourage us to come to the table. Because this table represents everything you've done for us. The body that was beaten, the blood that was shed. And may us taking this be a way for us to restore our relationship with you. To center us back to the most important thing in our life. And that's what you have done for us. So God, I pray for believers that when that moment comes, that they'll come and they'll grab these cups and go back to their seat. And as you lead them, Lord, as they felt led, that they would remember and partake. And Lord, then I pray for those who maybe don't know you. We've seen the prayer of a guy who by all standards of a resume was incredible for you. But if there's one red flag, it was this story. But we see a guy that is broken before you. A guy, when his sin was exposed, he comes clean and he desperately wants to be restored to you. He wants a renewal in his relationship and intimacy with you. And God, I pray that for those that don't know you, that they would realize something's missing in their life. What they're looking for can't be found in any pot body on earth. Can't be found in a job. Can't be found in alcohol, drugs, or sex. What they're looking for cannot be found in anything this world offers. It can only be found in the person and the work of Jesus. And God, if they need to make that decision today, I pray they would just simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
and I ask you to forgive me for my sin. And I surrender my life to you to be my boss and master. And God, if they'll pray that prayer, you tell us in your word that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. So God, would you just do your work in this place? Would you change some hearts of your believers? Would you change the hearts of those who don't know you? And may we leave here this morning celebrating your goodness, your grace, and Lord, your mercy. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Now real quickly, we're going to sing and we're going to worship. Please don't rush to the table. Take a moment or two. Maybe even while I was preaching, you were already doing it. But take a moment and repent. Ask God to cleanse you. Ask and confess that sin. And then if you are, your relationship with the Lord is one of those that's like it's been fractured and you want restoration, would you come grab a cup, go back to your seat. As the Lord leads you, would you remember and partake? And if you don't know Christ, I pray you'll trust him this morning. So however the Lord leads, would you respond as we worship him?